My name is Leslie Payne. Welcome to day 14 of Below the Median Income. Some background information about how I came up with this. First is the Jim Rohn quote that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Secondly, on March 12, 2018, Director Joshua V. Barr of the Des Moines Civil and Human Rights Commission said, We have 75% of students experiencing some form of poverty in Des Moines public schools. So what can we do to improve that outlook? Research has shown that if a person remains in an impoverished condition up through their adolescent years, they are more likely to remain in that position as they become older and become adults. That information made me think of a person being in a space that they could see but were not participating in. It evolved into an idea for an art installation of aerial images of Des Moines displayed on the floor. The images place the visitor outside the space they routinely travel. The audio components are interview recordings obtained from people involved with public or nonprofit organizations. The interviews tell the visitor about where that person routinely travels. The installation contrasts Des Moines ranking as a best-in-nation place to live, Iowa nice reputation of being overly friendly and go out of our way to help fellow citizens, and the visitor's personal story of where they travel in the city. You are listening to the audio component of my project. I didn't want the interviews to be an unheard story in a gallery setting. The best way I thought to prevent that was to make them available as a podcast. My guest for day 14 is Marlou Abarca. She is the vice chair of the Latino Affairs Commission, a part of the Office of Latino Affairs, which streamlines access to services offered by the state of Iowa. The commission is made up of seven governor-appointed community members who volunteer their time to represent the Latino community in Iowa. During the week, you might find her working as a bilingual services library assistant in the Des Moines Public Libraries. Through her position, she ensures that the library is a welcoming environment that engages the community, celebrates culture, and promotes literacy. Thank you for joining me, Marlou. What neighborhood of Des Moines do you live in? I live north of Grant. Who do you live with? My cat named Funky. Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... Medical students crossing the street and people in a hurry to get to work. When I step outside the place I live, I hear traffic and surprisingly birds. Where did you grow up? In Hollywood, California. What languages do you know? Spanish is my first, English, Portuguese, and I'm learning German. When did you learn English? I was five years old in kindergarten. Do you take ESL classes all the way through high school? Uh, I was in ESL up until I tested out in the fourth grade. What made you want to use basic German and Portuguese? Mm-hmm. What made you want to use, learn those two? As I was learning about Latin America in college, I realized that there were so many other different cultures within Latin America. I learned a little bit about Brazil, and I was fascinated with the country and the history. So I decided that I wanted to learn Portuguese and be able to visit someday. How did you get to Iowa? 
I got to Iowa in 2010 to attend Grinnell College. What made you pick Grinnell College for California? Yeah, I knew that I was interested in attending a small liberal arts college, and in my research with my college counselor in high school, Grinnell seemed like a place that I would enjoy just because of its rich history and social justice movements. What was your first impression of Iowa? That it was the most green I'd ever seen in my life. (laughs) What made you want to stay in Iowa? The people. Describe a typical weekday. I will probably get up around 7.30 to 8 a.m. And then get everything ready so I can get to work by 9 a.m. Usually we'll work a few hours on the desk providing some type of bilingual customer service at the Eastside Library. During my lunch hour, I usually will read a book or I'll practice German or Portuguese on Duolingo, which is a really cool app that you can get for free. Or I'll spend it answering emails from the other things that I do outside work. I usually get off work around 6 and then I will have like a meeting, board meeting, or some project I'm working on or something. And I'll head home to have dinner, and I watch a movie. But three days out of the week, when I don't go to sleep after watching a movie, I work part-time at a bilingual radio station. And so I'll do that for a few hours. One of the core values of the Des Moines Public Library is to focus on their customers' diverse needs and wants. What challenges do you face working as a bilingual services library assistant? There are different challenges. Firstly, when I first had the position a little over two years ago, I realized that the Latino community and the Spanish-speaking community in general wasn't coming to the library because they didn't see themselves in the staff. There are very few people of color that work at the library and almost an existent number of that speak Spanish. So what happens is that people come into these spaces feeling like it's not for them, like they don't belong. I don't believe that anyone ever was told you don't belong here, but there are ways that you can show someone that you don't want them there that doesn't include words. When I first joined the library staff full-time, I realized that there are a lot of things systemically that we could do to make the library more accessible and more welcoming. Growing the Spanish language collection and showing that we care about folks who speak Spanish and that we encourage bilingualism because it has so many benefits. That was a big barrier for a lot of people who want to be in these spaces is that there's nothing for them here. We didn't have programs that were in Spanish, for example. But I see now that so many other library systems are realizing that and they don't want to keep anyone away. Partly for their own uh, livelihood and longevity, they know that the population in Iowa is changing and there are more and more people who are growing up here who are bilingual and interested in learning different languages. And so it's important to sustain that patronship and to develop it in these younger generations that look and sound different.
describe a typical weekend? It's not my Saturday to work at the library since we all rotate which weekend we work. The library stays open on the weekends. I will probably sleep in and I might go to the gym, the Zumba class at the downtown Y. That's at 10. I'll probably go and get a slice of pizza at Costco while I do grocery shopping. If it's a Sunday, I'll get menudo, which is like delicious tripe soup from Mexico. Do you vote in elections? Yes, I vote in every election if I'm able to. Why is it important to you? I think about my family. My mom did not become a citizen until 2017. And for her to not be able to voice her values and her opinions in the way that I have the privilege to because I was born in the U.S. was really important to me. Where I have an opportunity to go vote on something, whether it's a special election or a local election or a national one, then I take that civic duty very seriously. What motivates you? My family and my family's journey, for sure. Where's your family worship? Both my parents were born in Mexico. Do you know how they traveled from Mexico to the United States? My dad came on a visa here in California and was a farm worker. After a certain time, my understanding is that he had the opportunity to apply for a green card. Sometime later, before I was born, he uh, applied for citizenship. So I grew up watching him vote. I think that was a huge influence on me too. My mom was undocumented until she married my dad. And then a few years later, so she applied for her permanent residency. But it had been something that was just inaccessible due to price. It wasn't until last year when I told her that I wanted to pay for her application, which was almost $700, that she said that, yes, it was a step that she wanted to take. Do you follow a religious practice or go to a place of worship? I stopped going to church about a year ago. I identify as agnostic currently, and it's because I have an open mind. And I've also studied a lot of religion. I grew up in the Catholic Church and then switched over to a Lutheran church and then a Christian denominational church, several of them, Baptist church, <laughs> and most recently a United Methodist church, all of which I've found rejects some part of my identity. And I've lived a life full of like shame and guilt. I realized a few years ago that I didn't want to live that way and that it's not really a concern of mine what happens to me after I die. It's not uh, a concern for me whether there's a heaven or not. And all I want to focus my life on is making sure that other people get to be as comfortable as I am while we're alive. How has volunteering your time made an impact on your life? It's hard to date. <laughs> I'm currently single and I have been seeing someone for a couple of months, but we met on a dating app. We realized very recently that we would have never met if it had not been for that app because 
our circles would have never crossed. We are in different fields of work and we live in different parts of the metro area. So, uh, yeah, volunteering is very, it brings me a lot of joy and satisfaction. And so I wouldn't change that for anything. So I'm glad that there are big gaps out there. (laughs) What do you do for yourself? I like to go out dancing. Des Moines, surprisingly, has a really big salsa scene, and so I have a few friends that have bands here in Des Moines. I like to go watch them play. Um, They have like monthly nights at different bars around town. I also like to travel. Nothing international. I haven't done that in a long time, but I like to travel for music festivals, both in English and in Spanish. What trait do you admire most in the people closest to you? I would say resilience. I have friends who have had enough reasons to either give up or to just live a comfortable life and not worry about anybody else around them. They've all shown resiliency and have put themselves and even risked their triggering traumas just so they can give others opportunities to. How did you find out about the Office of Latino Affairs? It was 2016, early 2016, I want to say, and Sonia Reyes-Snyder, who's the executive officer for the state for Latino Affairs, was hosting a table with another woman from the Department of Human Rights at the leadership that I was a part of, was the Latino Leadership Initiative. So I walked around different info tables and I talked to them and they said that there were over a hundred different boards, commissions, and councils that the governor appoints people to every year and that there were openings for the Latino Affairs one. So I had never heard of it, I had never met anybody who was a part of it. So I applied, I was 23 at the time. I applied not thinking that anything was going to happen because I was young and I didn't think that anyone cared what I had to say. But fill out a formal application, you write several essays, submit a resume. And a few months later, I received an email from the Office of the Governor listed under Latino Affairs Commission, my name and two other new board members. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. What work have you enjoyed most as a commissioner for the Office of Latino Affairs? That's a hard question. We've done a really, really good amount of fun things. My favorite thing was probably the Latino Hall of Fame. I remember being at a coffee shop with Sonia, and we were just talking about kind of lack of morale in the community. There had been an increase in raids here in Des Moines, ICE raids, and thinking about how we can increase morale but also teach people that it's okay to celebrate your own culture and to celebrate the people in your community. So we said, what about having a Latino Hall of Fame? <laughs> I had never done anything to that scale before even though I'd planned, you know, events since I was in college and high school and all that, but we had a great team on the commission and had a bunch of support from the community. This year we'll be celebrating our third annual Latino Hall of Fame.
what challenges do you see that the Latino community faces with your work for the Office of Latino Affairs? There's several. I don't want to call it a crisis, but within identities across different generations of Latinos that live in Iowa, there's a difficulty in understanding and also trying to fit into Iowa culture as someone of Latino heritage and descent. What I mean by that is for first-generation Iowans, no matter what the age, you know, there's a process of learning and adoption of culture while trying to keep your own roots alive and thriving. For second and third generation Iowans that are Latino, what I've noticed is that there's also this idea that not only is there pressure from the mainstream Anglo community to be more Americanized, which means more white, there's also a side from the Latino part that shames you if you don't speak Spanish, which is not even Latino's native tongue, you know, <laughs> that's a different subject. But there's a lot of shaming in not being able to have those roots connected to your culture. And that part resonates with me because I realized in moving here and working with these communities that I have a lot of privilege in having grown up knowing and, and actively, proudly, fearlessly celebrating my roots and every language that I speak. Growing up in California, 65% of the state currently is some type of Latino, different countries represented. With that, I didn't realize how much of a privilege that was and how that also affords you some cultural capital here, too. Mm-hmm.